Just picture it. I mean, can you imagine an offense with Nolan Jones, with Will Benson, we don't stop there, Jake Bowers, and Owen Miller? You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field, back is Spencer, at the one and two, get the ball! Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Welcome to the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ. That is Zach. Okay. Multiple choice, buddy. Most painful thing about Sunday is that A, Owen Miller delivering the winning, winning, winning game-winning RBI, was it B, Jose Ramirez having a chance to tie the game, and he didn't, C, Jose Ramirez and Josh Naylor both having an opportunity to tie the game, and they didn't, or is it D, Miles Straw getting that final opportunity and no pinch hitter to be found on the bench? What do you think? What was the most painful thing? I think it was E. None of the above. Instead, it was the realization that <laughs> summer's almost over and we soon will start to lose daylight every day. <laughs> and we'll get closer and closer to another dead of winter when none of us want to leave our homes. It's freezing. It's miserable. It's inconvenient. Come on. And the sun will explode and we will all perish and no one will ever remember that any of this existed. Dude. Summer is almost over <laughs> to the point where the day is as long as it can possibly be. And you're looking at it as, well, the days are getting shorter now. <laughs> that, that should tell you everything I need to know about not only the, the tenor of this show and the way the direction we're going, but also just you as a person. That's the <laughs> We're not even to the 4th of July yet, and you're thinking about the end of summer. Come on. I don't know. I, I I was asked about this on the highly esteemed Carmen and Lima show on 93. And they were saying, they were asking about Tito's decision making. And, you know, I, I, I never know how much stock to put on what's being said on Twitter. Because not only is it not all of Twitter, but it's really just the bubble that we see based on who we follow. Yes. But I was, the the, the main point here is I, I, I'm curious how much, is it because they play so many close games? Is that why everything this season feels magnified? The question you just laid out to me, every answer shouldn't matter at all if that is a three-run game, but they don't play those. Every game they play is a one-run game. And so every single little decision or little development feels like a monumental thing. It's just been the way of this season. So that's why I'm not going to pick one of your little things that could have changed the outcome of the game on Sunday. I'm going to pick the fact that none of us are going to be here once the sun explodes (laughs) and the universe stops expanding. Well, see, where am I supposed to go with that? Like, nothing matters in comparison to the universe dying. But this is what we got. People didn't tune in for that. 
people come to us <laughs> to, to determine whether or not Tito should have gone to his bench in the ninth inning, should have even gone to Miles Straw to begin with. You know, to be honest, I didn't have a big issue with him pinch running Miles Straw, to be honest. A little curious that it was for Tyler Freeman, but I get it. Miles Straw should be the pretty much as close to a guarantee as you can get to swiping second base. That's that's what you're thinking in that situation, that he should be pretty much a 100% to take that bag. What? What do you have to say in, in regard to that? Well, no, I just wanted to mention that. Like, I said out loud. I don't remember who I said it to. Maybe nobody. But they either said out loud or... Maybe texted someone in the press box that I, I. It was curious to me, not because of Straw's base running ability, and we should get into that in a minute. But it was curious to me because it left you in a spot where Arius would have been the guy you'd want to pinch hit for at some point. With I assumed Josh Bell, but you remove Freeman from the game. And things get a little more complicated with your defensive configuration and um, just moving forward. So, who so cares? it was deal with it, it. No, but I'm saying, I'm saying this is why it was confusing to me. It was a move you didn't have to make, and if you were desperate to get straw in, I thought there were other ways to do that. But in this situation, Tyler Freeman is now on base. And I think we both can agree that this this role that we've been trying to he carve out... He just went out, first to third on a wild pitch. He, he did. Miles Straw is supposed to be that. He's supposed to be a guy that's on first base. It's a, almost automatic that he should take second base. We've screamed about it for weeks and weeks. The few times that he gets on first base, he needs to be standing on second base. And earlier in the year, he was well, doing those things. leading me... Yeah. So this is this is the main discussion that should be taking place here. And I can't say for sure because this isn't, we didn't tackle this part of it in post game. And um, maybe it's something that can be discussed. It's one of those day after conversations, not the pinch running itself, but the, the bigger thought here, they want straw to run more. They have been urging him to do so. He doesn't have a stolen base since mid May. He has two stolen bases since April. He stole like eight in the first three weeks and then just stopped. And I don't know if it's because of instincts. I don't know if it's because he doesn't reach base enough. So when he gets on base, he doesn't want to screw up. Um, But they've been encouraging him to run more. Tito sort of hinted at it a couple days ago. It was one of those where like, I was asking about the base running numbers. I wrote about it this morning and I, you know, they've, as a team, they've stopped running. They have nine stolen bases in June, and that's nine out of 17. They've also been getting caught more. They had 35 stolen bases in April. So something has happened where they've just stopped. And it's weird because they've stopped running despite getting on base a lot more. The offense is finally doing some things. So I think there are a lot of factors to it, but the main thing here is Tito sort of like, indicated that they want straw to run more and my takeaway was the reason to pinch run him was that was putting him in a situation you know this they have a young team they're still like there's a lot of testing and trial and experiment going on and i thought that was a hey 
go run for Freeman and go steal second base. Because he was running. He got he stole it once and then had to go back and <laughs> right. then got caught. So the, my my takeaway was that was a specific instance of trying to I don't know if Straw needs more confidence on the bases. I don't know if they just wanted to throw him out there into the fire or what, but that's what I think that was. See, in that situation, my blame goes to the guy that didn't execute what his job should be to take second base. Now, it's unfair. You know, he takes second base and he gets sent back to first. Well, it's a similar situation almost immediately within the plate appearance where he gets thrown out. And I, I've heard people say, well, maybe maybe you don't try to take the base with Arias and the potential strike three. I think, I mean, didn't, didn't it just indicate that there are other things at play here that could enable you to take second base more easily if the umpire doesn't step in? To me, your job as, as Miles Straw is to go play elite defense and to steal some bags when you get on base. And if you're telling me that there's something in the way of him stealing bags now, then why is he occupying a roster spot? And even why is he starting games? Because if he, he cannot execute one of the most vital parts of his his game and he needs like nudged in the right direction, then you don't even start him because he's still not bringing that element of speed and stealing bases to the table. So that that's my issue in that situation. I really it was like, a, oh, interesting, but I can see it. Uh, we talked about this before. In, in evaluating a manager, there are things that I think I wouldn't do that, but I see the, the logic behind I can follow it, what you're doing. And so I don't get mm-hmm. too up in arms about it because even though I might not do that, if I understand your logic behind what you're doing, and in that situation the logic is we need to get the runner to second base so that we can bring him in, and Miles Straw should be an almost guarantee that he takes that bag, then I buy that. And I'm also in that situation picturing if this guy comes up later in the game and you need him to, well, look who's down the bench. There's Josh Bell. And also, there's David Fry, who just had a nice game. And Tito talks all the time about not wanting to stand in the way of somebody getting hot. I think they might have done that with Gabriel Arias, who now can't buy a base hit to save his life, who a couple of weeks ago actually looked like he was red hot, but because of the way that this team is put together, they can't let Freeman or Arias or anybody, you know, for a while it was Will Brennan, get any single bit of footing to be able to have a nice run as a hitter. So maybe that maybe that happened with Arias, that so they got in the way and now he's cold. But regardless, if Straw comes up, I look down my bench and I would rather have Josh Bell and I would rather have David Fry. And if you tell me defensive positioning – Bull crap. The guy that was in right field was just in center field early yes. in the game. You've got Josh Naylor, who I know you don't want to take off of first base, but if it comes between winning and losing, I will send him out to right field. And David Fry can play almost anywhere on the, the outfield and infield, though. Saturday might have called that into question. We can get into that coming up, too, if you want to. The, the defensive positioning does not matter. You go to straw, that's the role that we've carved out. He should be coming in. He should be running. He, he should be stealing bases. If he can't do that, that's on Miles Straw. If he comes up later in the game and you don't pinch hit for him, that's on the manager. Sure. You, I would rather, if the options are the game ends and you lose or you go to extra innings and a random fan from the stands has to play center field, <laughs> you would take the second option. Right? So I think then there's a lot of play here. I mean, if 
if Ramirez and Naylor have better at bats in the tenth inning, mm-hmm. then there's a good chance we're not having the same conversation. So it doesn't excuse the process, but the results. I mean, they end up sort of dictating what everyone is talking about. So I think like Quan could have played center field in extra innings. You could have done a lot of things. Um, and it's just, it's weird because it's like, <laughs> does defense matter or not? They're upset. Like Straw starts every single day because they love his defense. But then they're going to start David Fry in right field on a whim. And they're going to start Ahmed Rosario every single day at shortstop, even though they have 12 better defensive shortstops on the roster. So it's very strange. I don't like they, oh, all we care about is how a catcher handles the pitching staff and that they can block balls and that they have a good transfer and all that shit. But then David Fry, who didn't sniff five seconds behind the plate at AAA in April, comes up and catches. And then you throw them into right field. I mean, it's it's kind of mind-boggling. And I, I don't really... You know, the, they said part of the reason why they wanted to start Fry in right field was because Arias was going through some things and maybe developing some bad habits at the plate. Okay, fine. Send him to AAA then. They Instead, he was in the lineup the next day. I mean, I just... It's it's very <laughs> he weird. He got a lot odd. of work done on Saturday, all right? In the cage, he was right where he needed to be. Their handling of young players has been very odd. And I can't... I, I also think my plea to fans would be we got to stop being obsessed with splits, okay? I understood it a little bit with Josh Naylor because he had several years of a sample size, but do we understand now that Josh Naylor is just a good hitter overall, right? So he's better against righties, but he can hold his own against lefties because he's just good in general. And we're... We're declaring David Fry a lefty masher and assuming that he can't do anything against righties. So when he starts against a righty, it's like, it's a huge sin. And Gabriel Arias, I, like, I don't care what he's done against specific handedness of pitchers this year. Like, these guys are so young and they have tiny samples. They just need a bats, period. I don't care who it's against. So just... Keep that in mind. It's it. Sometimes it takes guys years, and you don't want to pigeonhole them into a specific part-time role just because you think that they can't hit lefties or they excel better against righties, and they've been in the majors for ten minutes. Just pump the brakes on that. And if you want to gripe about something, by all means, there are many ways we can complain about how they've handled young players in general and just the weird playing time allotment and. I mean, has Tyler Freeman done anything to suggest he doesn't deserve more playing time? No. And yet he only beats the anti-Chick-fil-A. He only plays on Sundays. I, I was confused when he was in the lineup earlier this week. That was not a Sunday. I was nervous. I thought, what did, the, did I black out? Did I miss part of the week? Am I missing time? What happened to get him into the lineup? And of course, anytime he's in the lineup, it's because like something disastrous happened. Because that's the only way that this kid can actually just play. And yet when they play him in these short little bursts, he's been pretty terrific. Now, granted, he's limited as a hitter, that he's not going to bring some 25 home run power. Fine. This offense, I will live Who with. Is? I will live with the guy that has the 720, 730 OPS, but also brings a 280, 290 batting average. Like, that's fine. I'm cool with that. 
that's a lot better than a 600 OPS or worse, or a center fielder that is allergic to stealing bases now. And defensive metrics, I think it's a little unfair to him that he just hasn't had opportunities, but it's not suggesting he's having a terrific defensive season either. So what is he, what is Miles Straw brought that suggests he should be in the lineup every single day? And you're right, are we so married to defense, yet we can turn around and put guys out of position to try to get their bats into the lineup? And then it's like, uh, well, we have to play straw because we're making up for defense elsewhere. <laughs> I think we're just, we're seeing a lot of du- holes being dug here that have been very difficult to then dig themselves back out of. It's a very weird season. And I understand that when you have a lot of 23 and 24-year-olds, you have to do some experimentation. You have to throw guys out there and know that they might sink. But it's the picking and the choosing that sort of it just doesn't add up to me. It's just been very, very odd in what they have sort yeah. of leaned on and the things that they don't want to get away from. And that, like, why does Straw have to play seven days a week? Why can't you play him four? And you can work other guys into the rotation that way. Why can't you play Rosario five times a week? He can still, those other two, he can come off the bench and pinch hit against a lefty. But but see, with Rosario, as I said in the Discord, if you were telling me, here's an option of Freeman, Rosario, and Arias, who are you going to actually put physical money on to have the better numbers the rest of the season? If, if it had to be Rosario, I would buy that. I would buy that. Like, we're seeing it here. He, he's capable of going through stretches where he looks fine offensively, that I'm fine with him being in the lineup. Now, as we said, it goes beyond that because we're also looking at how do you get Freeman and Arias in enough that I can have some sense of what they are moving forward. And Rosario is not part of your team, most, most likely in 2024. But all of that, like, aside... I can semi-buy that you're playing Rosario because you think that when the season's over, his numbers will look fine and they'll, they'll be in line with where he's been in, in most of his career. What's the sell on straw? Are you seeing any of that? Because at least Rosario occasionally go through, goes through stretches where he has a 3-4 hit game. He has a week where he hits 450. Like, I'm, you, I'm not, there I'm are not... still ways to optimize him, though. I mean, what? Like, don't you think five days a week of Rosario and two days a week of Freeman would produce a better overall shortstop yeah, yeah, output. Yeah. I'm not saying that I agree with the decision to always go with Rosario. I'm saying that I buy that You're more. You're saying it depends. <laughs> no, no, not even that. I'm saying I buy that more. Like, like we were saying earlier, it's not what I would do, but I see some sense of reasoning behind it. And the reasoning here is maybe sure. the, the front office has gone through every single run through this they can with their numbers and they think the best option is Rosario and whether or not you agree or disagree with those projections it suggests that Rosario by the end of the year will have the best offensive output so keep playing that guy I can buy it I can't buy that with straw anymore I can't do it he's not stealing bases whether or not he's had the chances in center field he's not playing this elite level I can't believe it defense this year so what what are you what are you suggesting here like why I'm not buying that any projection system is telling you that it's better off to play him than anybody else. 
So since the start of last season among qualified hitters. Oh, God, I'm not ready for this. Straw has a 67 WRC plus that ranks last among every qualified hitter. Last in the majors. His is 67. The second worst is 77. Ugh. He's 10% worse than the second worst hitter. Uh, so yeah, it, it's you can cover all three outfield spots as one human being. And I don't know that that would be worth that trade off. Um, yeah, I don't get it. I, part of it. They just, they don't have outfielders. <laughs> Let's tie it back to your opening question of the podcast. You could conceivably have Nolan Jones in right field and Will Brennan in center. You could have Will Benson out there somewhere. You could have Jake Bowers if you really wanted. I'm, this is tongue in cheek, but the point is, Tongue in cheek, he's got like a 115 WRC plus with the Yankees. The power's bad. Part of the reason why it's part of the reason why I find it easier to justify Rosario playing five days a week, and I'm I'm I agree with you completely. Like I just said a few minutes ago, Straw, why does he have to play seven days a week? Why can't it be four? But it's easier in my mind to play Rosario five days a week and let him pinch hit against lefties the other two, because you have other infielders who you want to learn about. In the outfield, like Brennan's going to get his at-bats in right field. Oscar Gonzalez, he went five for five with a cycle on Sunday, which helps. But before that, he wasn't doing much in Triple A, And it was the same story with him and, and swing decisions and play discipline. So who, I mean, can you convert Tyler Freeman into a right fielder? Can you... See, the fact that that I mean, hasn't happened I guess happened you can run yet, Arias out there. The fact that that hasn't happened yet leads me, this is just my hypothesis, is that maybe they tried that in spring training and Freeman said, I'm just not comfortable. Because if that they hasn't... They did. Right. And, and if, if it hasn't happened that to, to find some way to get his bat in the lineup, I truly believe, maybe you can do some digging in on this. I know Tito's not going to say, oh, yeah, he's not comfortable but I, that would lead me to believe that he wasn't comfortable. Because otherwise, how do you explain that? And that's just me. Again, mm -hmm. a, a hypothesis. I have nothing behind it other than, please explain this any other way like I'm a four-year-old here. I don't know who the next outfielder to come up will be. You know, I don't know how much time they want George Valera to spend in Columbus. Do they give Oscar Gonzalez another chance? But at some point... Don't you just have to stick someone in right field and shift Brennan to center? Yes. At least yes. do that a few times a week. Well, I think we've said it before on this podcast a bunch, but you could, if you had straw on the 95 Indians, you could live with that. I mean, they, they did with Viscal, right? It's just straws not hitting second. Because you have eight other boppers in the lineup, but in this lineup, it's it's just one spot that you could at least attempt to squeeze a little more offense out of. I mean, that's not even fair. Viscel brought something. Even to that team, he brought something. Straw has, is, outside of a good couple of weeks stretch recently, has been pretty, pretty awful with the bat. And the one thing that... We said when they acquired him, he should still get on base at a 32-33% clip. He's not doing that uh, for the most part. And it's the stolen bases aren't there here recently, and even the elite defense hasn't had a chance to present itself. And it's why you know, we can spend 25 minutes talking about 
in a vacuum, which is probably one like the third or fourth most important thing that came out of Sunday. To me, you lost the game because in an opportunity with Ramirez and Naylor, they didn't come through. And they both had bad at-bats, I think. Especially Naylor swung at some pitches he should not have. And I think he missed his pitch. Like, maybe it was... I can't remember if it was first. Or, there was a pitch on the inside corner that almost looked like I could see it coming out of the pitcher's hand. And I was like, oh boy, here it comes. This is going to get deposited into the seats. And he missed it. And he had, he had that reaction like, damn, Josh, I missed I miss that. That's why you really lost Sunday. I mean, the straw thing is is a little bit further down. But I'm not mad long-term at Ramirez. Josh Naylor's not a problem. In a vacuum, that is a problem with Sunday's game, but the bigger picture is what we're talking about here. That's why it's like I don't want to lose sight of that. In a one-game situation, your stars didn't come through and they had a chance with Rosario at second base. So, okay, that's ultimately why you lost Sundays. You didn't have a chance to extend the game with your best hitters. But what's the bigger thing here we're talking about? What's the thing that transfers from a week from now, a month from now, and the rest of the season? The playing time, Miles Owen Straw, Miller. Owen Miller, Will Benson, Jake Bowers, the whole list. Junior Caminero, now the number 17 prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. Traded for Tobias Myers who lasted about 30 seconds in the organization. I think we're going to have some very um, serious conversations about some big misses by the front office coming up this winter. And, and who knows, maybe with, by the way this season plays out, we'll have it a time to do some serious digging in on that stuff. But your two big free agents I- that they, they, they acquired, one of them is no longer here. The other one who I would continue to play, and I'm still going to long-term bet on him being okay, maybe not great, but just okay offensively, Josh Bell, okay. But your two big free agent acquisitions have brought you negative value so far this year. Yeah, and he still has the most awkward swing I've ever seen in my life. I think a couple things can be true at once. Number one, Absolutely, though, I think the front office is due for, like, I don't know, like a, 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 a job examination. But I, yeah, but I, I think it's important to keep in mind that this stuff can change quickly. And I'm trying to figure out on the fly here. I think it's part of it is because I would say like every six months you have a chance to kind of correct your mistakes, right? They clearly whiffed over the offseason without question. Maybe some of that goes on the ownership too. We can certainly criticize them as we frequently do. But with the front office, like you can make up for that by swinging a couple really good trades here this summer. And it's just, I keep going back to, if you look at the body of work and the trades that they've made and how many times... It's, we, we said this, I think, a month or two ago, how stupid it is to, a trade is made and everyone has to write your article. Okay, grading the trade. This team gets an A because they got the superstar. This team gets a C because they got prospects and we have no idea what the prospects will turn into. Wow, revelatory analysis. <laughs> and then a year later, you examine the same trade and it's like, oh, that superstar kind of, he had some injuries and he, didn't really perform. And what do you know? These prospects, two of them are now in the top 50. And another one is 
in the major leagues pitching well. And then a year after that, it's, oh, that pitcher just fell off a cliff and those prospects, the shine kind of wore off. And it's just, this stuff is fluid. And so it's, I think evaluating a front office can be like that too. So I think you have to sort of take a step back and look at maybe the systems that are in place more so than just the immediate results because especially we're trying to evaluate young players. I mean, the Clevenger trade looked incredible. It looked questionable when it was made. It looked incredible a year later. Then it looked questionable again when it was like, oh, Naylor, Arias, Quantrill, I'm not sure. And now I think it looks really good again because at the bare minimum, Naylor looks like a dude. And Clevenger gave the Padres like 12 crappy starts. So that stuff is fluid. So you have to look at the the systems, the processes in place. And I think there are some major questions again about their ability to develop hitting. Whereas a year ago we thought, Hey, look at how many outfielders they have. <laughs> like they have fixed this. This is incredible. So this stuff is constantly evolving and it makes it tough to yeah. sort of take a snapshot in time and give a fair assessment. But that's what it is. It's a but snapshot. I think that time. Oh, I think that time is, I, I think an appropriate time is, coming because the last year I feel like they've made more mistakes than I've noticed them make in a long time again multiple things can be true you if you really wanted to play this as fair as you could you would follow every trade tree until it finally ended it and then you would you would say well that's it that trade started way back here with trading any top and seed and ended with okay so what are you going to do that for their whole life? Of course, you have to take snapshots. Ended with Class A, right? <laughs> you take snapshots. Tobinsey, Lofton, Justice, Westbrook, Kluber, Class A. Yeah. Boom. There you go. You have to take the snapshots. And you admit, as this is going on, that it is a fluid thing. It's not over. We had that conversation in April that maybe... The Clevenger trade gets too much credit. Well, guess what? I can adjust and I can come back and say, hey, they do deserve credit for for Naylor blossoming the way that he finally is. And Quantrill, for whatever you think of him, has given him league average pitching since the time that he's been here. And that that holds value to a team that's not paying him very much. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Arias. But I, I can adjust and I can go on the on the fly here and just take a snapshot in time. And it's not that I think this is the end and I'm never going to change my mind. But, I mean, this is this is a, a sports conversation. It's supposed to be debate and fun. And in this given moment, this is the way that I think. We would never have sports talk if it was just, well, let's just see how it ends up. We'll see who wins the World Series at the end of this. And then we can look back and bullshit. Then what, what are we going to talk about for the entire season? Of course this is going to change. Yeah, I mean... We could talk about this on the pitching side, too. Oh, the pitching factory, and no one does it like them. How do they do it? And then there was like a lull for a year. And in 2021, we watched JC Mejia pitch on short rest. And then what do you know? 2021 draft, you have Williams and Bybee. 2020 draft, you had Allen. And now they're all here. And everyone's saying, how do they keep doing this? And it's just, the stuff evolves. It's all fluid. But... It's this is a reminder some of the missteps that 
whether it's Terry Francona, whether it's Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff, whether it's Tampa or the Dodgers, nobody's infallible. Everybody makes mistakes. And it's okay to criticize those mistakes. It's just... I think the mistakes they've made are especially glaring right now because I don't know if Nolan Jones is going to keep this up, but certainly... And and Juan Brito is, I think he's going to be a good player. I don't know yeah, where he's going to play, but too. he's got a really good, really good plate. But there's no question that they could use what Nolan Jones is doing right now. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I think I think Brito. I, I could envision him like two years from now getting on first base and then Miles Straw pinch running for him, and then we don't see him again till next Sunday. Like that's that's how I picture Juan Brito being used someday. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Like we we talked about this with with Benson, who has had a good couple of weeks, and I'm so happy for him. I I really hope that he has a good career because he's a good kid, and I think he's got uh, he's got more to bring than just his playing too. And that helps when you're a good player, and then you can do that other stuff on the side to help try to make a difference in communities and and all the different ways that he talked about on draft day that he wanted to be more than just a baseball player. So that's great. I think he's a fantastic kid. I every single hitter that we semi jokingly but also were semi serious about in the intro has things that I'm like, okay, well, do I really think that Benson is a guy that's going to be a, a above average bat? If I'm betting, probably not. Uh, Nolan Jones is running like a 450 BABIP right now, and he's still striking out 30 percent of the time. Do I think that that's sustainable? No, I don't. Do I still think he's got a lot of the same red flags and warning signs as a hitter? Of course I do. But the thing is, like, like Owen Miller, you get rid of him, and nobody on this show was bitching about that. I told you that, you know, Chris Taylor got kicked to the curb by his first team, too. And in, the, in Miller's case, his second team, before he blossomed. But again, he is a hitter that is limited by the type of hitter he is. Even at his best, he's probably like a 280 hitter that is going to struggle to hit for a ton of power. And, th- and those sorts of guys aren't serious game changers in this offense could it make a difference it absolutely could but the thing is in those evaluations I sometimes get caught up in well I thought that too but the front office has got to be smarter than me the front office has got to be smarter than you otherwise why are you and I sitting here doing this show and not running the effing team if you're not better than me or you then why do they have the jobs that they do they have to be better at Seeing guys that can... But they listen to us. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We're sorry. I mean, the, the thing is, they need to be better at knowing who could, with just a little bit more patience, blossom. And if they're not, then they need to have that... What, what would you... It's, it's, a, it's a demerit to them. It's, it's something that you have to, to note that they, they missed on. On a hitter. Now, if it happens occasionally, fine. As we were talking about, in a, <laughs> as I was joking with you on in, through text, baseball. I think this is all luck. Like, did the did the Orioles know that Aaron Hicks was about to just go bananas? No, they had no idea. They signed him because their center fielders hurt, and they had nobody else to play center field. And I think they've completely lucked into Hicks exploding the way that he is. Sometimes baseball is that, but when you have a lengthy track record of guys that have gone elsewhere, and you missed on them. Then I start to look at, okay, what, what is happening internally that you're missing on this many, this many hitters and these many guys that could help you? 
I just Yandi Diaz got away. That was a mistake. No matter how you want to frame that trade, I understand it brought back Carlos Santana. He had a career year. You wanted to offload Encarnacion's money and whatnot. Fine. A lot of that goes they on ownership. They didn't have to include Yandi. You could have included someone else, or you could have just found a different trade to make. Um, he had hit tools that they needed, still need. You let him get away. He's one of the best hitters in baseball. Mistake. That's fine. Miss me with the Jesus Aguilar crap, the Gio Urshela stuff. Those guys had opportunities, or they were blocked by better players who were performing well. Aguilar was blocked by Santana and Encarnacion. So just stop. And he didn't turn into anything special. So I think there's nuance to this. And we I see the list of players who quote unquote got away. And I kind of roll my eyes. But I also hate acting like I'm defending them. Every team has examples of this. Okay. And Cleveland has benefited, especially on the pitching side. Many times they traded like the last dying breaths of Vinny Pistano for Mike Clevenger, who gave them a handful of really good years. Okay. So, I mean, they traded Ryan Ludwig, who was, <laughs> or, or Jake Westbrook, who was an expiring free agent and they just wanted to get rid of because they were a terrible team and they turned Corey Kluber into gold. Right. So, like, they do this, they do it very well on the pitching side. And, that's not, I mean, this is not a perfect organization. They have a lot of strides to make on hitting development, on figuring out the best way to extract as much potential out of these hitters as possible. They've done, they can take an average starter and turn him into an elite pitcher. They haven't proven that they can take an average hitter or hitter with a tool or two here and there and turn him into an everyday player. And, so I just think like every single team has guys that get away for whatever reason. I think the big thing holding Cleveland back right now in that regard is that it's really hard to contend and develop at the same time. You can't you just you can't afford to give guys super long leashes and let them fail because you're trying to win games. I mean, look at the Reds right now. They're letting young guys play because they didn't have anyone else standing in the way because they tore it all down and they stunk for a couple years. And now they can let those kids play because there wasn't really anyone standing in Ellie De La Cruz's way. And they're having fun and it's great. And at some point, those young players will hit some speed bumps. But they didn't have, you know, they Cleveland has collected so many middle infielders. And the Reds actually have too. I think Noel V. Marte, who's a really good prospect, just got bumped up to triple a it'll be interesting to see where he plays they've, they've got a ton of infielders they're going to run into a similar problem but i mean they're talking about trading trading india who two years ago was rookie of the year right because they have where were they so it's it's place other people it's really hard to pull off it worked last season but that doesn't guarantee anything moving forward because these are still young players and you have to i mean we've said it it's like if you don't, they haven't made this big trade that we've thought they were going to make for years, right? Package a couple infield prospects and a pitcher or something and go get an established outfielder. We've been calling for that for two years. The front office has acknowledged that it's something that they need to do and they haven't done it. 
And we've said they're going to have to make some really difficult decisions on guys probably earlier than they're comfortable with because they don't have opportunities to let everybody play and prove themselves. And that's what you're seeing. When you have to make decisions like that, you're going to make some wrong ones. All right, let's take a break from this for a second. I don't know if this is a fun exercise or not. I'm, I'm curious. This has been a running gag for a couple of years now. You would always ask me, who's my three? Who are the three pitchers that I want to start a playoff game with? That wasn't you or me that brought this up this year. This was our Discord. So go join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast. patreon.com slash Godcast, where you get access to the Discord and just the, the endless conversations that take place during and after and before every single game. People want us, us to do that same exercise. Well, they're two games out of a playoff spot. I don't know that that's fair as we record this on Monday to say who would start a playoff series. This team and the word playoffs do not belong together until they earn that. But I will say, I want to do something similar. I want you to rank based on confidence, a hierarchy of sorts. If you had to win one game and you could select any pitcher currently on this staff to go start that game, rank them for me in terms of most confidence to do it at this given point. Not in the future, at this given point. You want me to rank every pitcher? <laughs> Are you going to start bullpen games too? Every starting pitcher that's currently on the team. Number one, Shane Bieber. Wow. This Number team, two, this team's terrible then. Tanner Bybee. Bieber starting game one. He shouldn't even be starting any playoff games. All right, sorry. Two, Tanner Bybee. Three, Aaron Savali. What? Four. What? A close, hold on. What? Close four. <laughs> close four. Oh, my goodness. Gavin Williams. Oh, wh what? Explain that. Explain Five that. Logan Allen. Explain yourself. Walk me through this. I don't know. I mean, it's... The... Bybee showed me something. If he His stuff is fantastic. If he can just command the fastball a little better, he's going to be excellent. And I thought his start against the Brewers, that was another example of... So, they're in a quandary here. Those three guys, Williams, Bybee, and Allen, they're not going to go over 150, 160 innings this year. And so, they have to be judicious with their usage. Wouldn't be surprised to see a couple trips to Columbus for a breather. Um, and they've said, like, as long as it's not, you know, the intensity of the innings matters, the stress level, the number of pitches and they're not saying, all right, Bybee's at 155, his season's over. Like, there are ways where they, I was told, like, those aren't a hard cap necessarily. But one of those tests or trials that they had to run the other day was Bybee got up around 100 pitches, and they left him in to try to get out of that jam in the sixth inning. And he did it. And I think that something like that goes a long way. He, he, 
is his, talks all the time about getting through six innings is his goal every start. And he had to dig deep through a lot of fastballs. He was hitting 97 there toward the end of that outing. Ended it on a beautiful changeup. And I think that goes a long way for his confidence. It's like little things like that where you are, you're sacrificing a little bit in the moment because those are pitches that he might not be able to throw later in the year. But the victory in that moment, I think, pays dividends. And I thought that was just him demonstrating what his ceiling is, which is, I don't know, like a good number two starter maybe. And he's had some big moments. I mean, remember his second start, he went toe-to-toe with Garrett Cole at Yankee Stadium. Like, I think he's sort of built for those environments. So I would put him second. Savali, I don't know. I The stuff looks good. It wasn't great Sunday. I still just think he's like a reliable guy. But even though I've only seen Gavin Williams for one start, and that one start was sort of unspectacular, just as pure stuff, I'm just assuming that by the time we get to September, I'm going to trust him more. So I put him kind of neck and neck with Savali right now. And you're asking me who I'd want to see start, right? Like I, He's more interesting to watch. I like Savali's curveball, but I don't know. Cutters are boring. <laughs> Tell that to the guy you picked first. Shane Bieber. It's like his worst pitch. Well, he, someone needs to tell him that then. Stop throwing it so damn much. Yeah, the, the, every single, like, Bieber is the, the guy that should be the, the easy choice here to start because he's got the track record. He's got experience in these spots. And yet there are other guys that I think at least make for it to be an interesting conversation. In terms of ERA, like there's hardly any separation between Bieber and Bybee. And Logan Allen is actually better in both of those cat- categories. And then Savali, in the small sample size that he has, best the, the three of those guys. <laughs> so, like, what, what metric do you want to use here? Savali's interesting. Why has there been no talk other than our text messages about any teams wanting to trade for him? So. You want to trade Bieber and Savali, I and then say, Williams, Bobby, and Allen aren't going to be able to pitch past August. Who Who's starting for you in September? Your MVP. Mitch Talbot? Homo Oka? If I could sign up for that, I would do it right now. Teams just pick random starters in the past, and they come back to throw a game, like a celebrity host sort of a thing. If you're out of the race, what better way could you... I mean, that would be... An excellent use of resources. Isn't that what the Rockies did the other night? September. (laughs) My phone malfunctioned. I was going through scores, and I thought, (laughs) do they have 23 runs here? And I thought, oh, they must be at a position player pitching. Oh, my God, they're in the fourth. (laughs) What is is happening? Uh, So, yeah, maybe uh, the MVP Curry could start some innings late in the year. Hunter Gaddis will make a return. I think you still have to go Bieber one, but I maybe I have more faith in Logan Allen handling that than you do at this point. 
No, I mean he he's a very dependable guy, I think. He just seems like he's kind of got that Josh Tomlin quality of he's always going to pitch better than mm-hmm. you think he is, maybe. Yeah. He's had some command issues lately though, which if you take that away, he's pretty vulnerable. Mm, yeah, but I I mean what pitcher <laughs> if if you take the stuff away from Garrett Cole, then he's also beatable. No, but that's not he he's his fastball's ninety two. It's not ninety eight. <laughs> okay. Yes, if you take away the best thing that makes him him, then yes, he is very beatable. If you want to make a case that you. that command could fluctuate more than stuff could start to start, okay, okay, I'll, I will buy that to a degree. But in terms of confidence, I might put him behind Bieber right now. Hmm. And if you'd asked me before Sunday, I might have put Savali ahead of Bybee. But he also needs to be perfect on the edges. And we saw in one inning he was not, and he got roughed up. And then, of course, he was back to being okay. So I'll say Bieber, Allen, Savali, Bybee, Williams. Subject to change. This is a more fun exercise than it was a year ago because I think our answers can fly. We should do this weekly. I know we did it last year, and your answer was the same every week. But yeah. this year, I think it would be different every week. Yeah, I mean, like one more start from Gavin Williams, where he just looks spectacular. Couldn't he rocket up these this uh, confidence list very yes. quickly, based on stuff alone? Yes. It's the same thing in the other direction. If I saw Logan Allen just get his butt kicked again, or Bybee, you know, not make it out of the third inning, it could very quickly. I mean, that's that's what you're, when you're talking about younger pitchers, the sample sizes are so small that you allow one start to drastically change what you think of a guy. Not long-term, but I mean in the moment right now. Yeah. Where does Joey Cantillo fit on your ranking? Oh. There's no way that this is actually a person. You know why I'm saying that, right? And now it's time for the random Cleveland used to play here guy of the day it's been so long since we've done one of these do you even think that you're going to be able to handle this no i wish i had a guy i met over the weekend as a phone a friend this guy knows every single baseball player in the league year after year oh yeah let's get to that because he has the coolest job in the world Let's let's get through this, and then I want you to wrap up the show with that. All right. Every time we do these and I go with someone that I don't even remember existing, I try to very quickly go to their Wikipedia to make sure nothing terrible happened with this person. But, uh, okay, so this person pitched with the Indians in 2009 was part of 38 career appearances he made in the major leagues overall, three of them with Cleveland. Do you hear like what you're asking me to do? Yes. I'm just going to keep Some running. Some guy spent a week with the team 14 years ago during a season no one would ever care to remember. 
It was just how quickly can I find a guy? Usually I, I try to have someone in my back pocket, but it's been so long since we've done this and people have been asking where this segment is at that I thought we'd bring it back for a week. Three appearances with Cleveland in 2009. He also appeared in two games with the Tampa Bay Rays in 2009, so five appearances total in 2009. Also made 26 appearances with the 2007 Washington Nationals and seven appearances before that, his debut at the age of 29 with the Baltimore Orioles in 2006. So Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Washington, Baltimore is where he spent his career. This man is now 46 years old now. When he pitched with Cleveland, he was 32, right-handed pitcher, two and a third innings, seven hits allowed, seven runs, six were earned, two home runs allowed. Have you done the Immaculate Grid yet? No. Have you seen that? What is that? I think it's something you would enjoy. It's basically like the list... Astros, Blue Jays, and then something else at the top. And then vertically, it'll be like Pirates, Orioles, something else. And so you have to find, you know, the square where those descriptors meet up. You have to find someone who played for the Pirates and the Astros. You have to find someone who played for the Pirates Ah, and the whatever other team I said. It's pretty fun. Um, It's difficult, too. And the goal is to get all nine get a find a player who fills the descriptions of each of the nine mm. things and you can't screw up you get nine guesses anyway i have no idea i could give you nine guesses <laughs> i don't asking think me you're to... gonna get it <laughs> all right he's his first appearance with cleveland came on july 7th 2009 he came on in relief after jeremy sowers started Went five and a third innings, allowing four runs. Then came Chris Perez, who was saddled with a blown save. He gave up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Then this guy came in, gave up a pair of home runs, and then only lasted a third of an inning, gave way to Toma Oka, who pitched an inning in two-thirds. So four runs allowed in his debut. He Can I just list home runs to Alexei Ramirez and Paul Konerko? So he just fit right in with what the rest of Cleveland was doing at that time. I'm just going to list a few relievers who I know No, it's not, just to show off. It's not just Todd, who they got in the Chris Perez trade. It's not John Malone, who they got in the Carlos Santana trade. It's not Greg Aquino, who also pitched for the Diamondbacks. It's not Mike Gosling. It's not mm-hmm. Mike Koplove. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Trying to see if there's anything else notable before we reveal... Uh, he also What was his middle name? Outside of the U.S. as well. Middle name? Leonardo. Leonardo? Shared a first name with a Ghostbuster. Not going to help you at all. Yeah, movie reference will help. Thanks, man. Ooh. During his tenure with the Indians, this man was given a three-game suspension after hitting Jack Hanahan with a pitch on July 25th. I don't know. Francisco Crusetta. 
no, the man that I'm referring to is none other than Winston Abreu. I remember the name just because I feel like I've seen it scrolling through baseball reference, but yeah, I never would have guessed that. Winston Abreu. You forget his 23.14 earned run average with Cleveland. But he did run, This the FIP would suggest he got a little unlucky. 15.53 was the FIP in two and a third Innings. What do you think his rating would have been in an MLB The Show? Not great. Yeah, so our loyal listener, Evan, introduced me to his buddy who was in town over the weekend, whose job is he is the guy who creates the ratings for players for MLB The Show every year. I mean, what a gig. Lives in San Diego, too. So just... I guess hangs out on the beach, goes to Padres games, eats fish tacos, and looks at Jose Ramirez's <laughs> stats and decides that he's a, a 93. Life. What a life. Yeah. You make it sound like that's as simple, like he just eyeballs it. Well, he was, he kind of gave me the rundown, but it was. Spends a lot of time on baseball reference, baseball savant, fan graphs, just looking at various metrics. And, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I also know, like, Jose Ramirez popped into their studio during the road trip last week and was jokingly saying, hey, you better make me a 99 next year. So I'm sure there's pressure with it, too. But... I don't know. I was trying to think of cooler jobs than that. And I was coming up mostly empty. I'm glad that there's still someone that oversees that, that it's not just, ah, the computer looks at some stat cast data and spits it out. Let's, let's, let's have some human elements still in it. Mostly because that's the yeah, dream job for all of us. <laughs> I think Josh Naylor's, versus lefty split has increased in rating over wow. the last two months. Were you in there telling him that splits don't matter? Maybe. I'm telling you. Flat earthers and splits don't matter truthers. Podcast coming later this summer. Depends on how the, the rest of this Guardian season goes. Yeah, that that is pretty much the uh, the dream. Would you rather be the guy that makes the ratings in MLB The Show or the guy that tastes the desserts in New York to make sure that they're good before they put them out? That's a job. Can make a one. Hmm. Never give up on your dreams. I'd rather be the guy that gets to do this podcast with you twice a week. And a liar, too. Unbelievable. We'll be back later this week. Patreon.com slash Selby's Guidecast. And save $20 off your ticket purchases. You know how to do that. People get mad when I make the reference. Code Selby. 